The Good Medicine Explained. I'm your host, Dr. James R. Brown. This is episode number three, season two, for the week of February 14th, 2021. It is truly my privilege to continue providing my old and new listeners with a more personalized podcast program that's intended to educate and stimulate interest in understanding how our bodies operate and how many of us can cultivate a lifestyle of wellness that promotes optimum physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual health. As I've stated before, the medical profession has been looked upon and utilized to extend natural physical life. However, I believe a higher virtue in the healing process for the 21st century is to transform and improve the quality of life that has been extended. Today happens to be Valentine's Day, and I'd first like to wish everyone listening a happy Valentine's Day. While we reserve February 14th every year to mark the experience of romantic relationships, truthfully, every day should provide an opportunity to exchange some form of a heartfelt, loving word or action to individuals we deem special and cherished. Now, scientifically speaking, what is love? There are four different known definitions of love. There is eros, the sensual and romantic love. There is storhe, which is the affectionate bond between family members. There's philia, a care, respect, and compassion for fellow humans, the human family. And there's agape, a love that's demonstrated through actions and selflessness. Many people would most likely be able to recognize love. Um, There are several signs that can overtly and covertly be identified. For example, saying you like a person just doesn't feel like a sufficient description. You can feel attached and connected to that person. There's an emotional attachment as well as a physical attraction. You're attentive to that other person's needs and you try to tend to them, your goal is to just make them happy. You honestly care about the other person's well-being, regardless of whether you stay together. You'll go to great lengths to take care of this person and avoid hurting them. You want to be a better version of yourself. And You may be thinking meaningfully about a future or long-term commitment with this person. Now, love carries with it other elements such as vulnerability. One piece of falling in love is being able to share a really personal part of yourself with another person and be truly open and vulnerable to another person. There's also emotional connections. Having an emotional connection with someone 
means you're able to connect on a deeper level beyond just having fun or physical attraction or intellectual similarities. Being emotionally connected means you can rely on each other, feel seen by each other, and share feelings of romantic attachment. There are many uh, different research studies that have demonstrated uh, really excellent wellness benefits from a healthy, loving relationship. And I'd like to mention just uh, about 10 of what those are. Very briefly, uh, people that are in loving relationships have fewer doctor visits. And that's believed to be due to couples taking better care of themselves and being honest and good friends to motivate each other. And over time, that generates good health habits and fewer illnesses. A second benefit is people that are in loving relationships tend to be less depressed and less of a, a substance abuser. And this, of course, is according to Health and Human Service reports on married couples who have uh, recorded fewer uh, reports of depression. A third good reason is lower blood pressures. A study in the Annals of Behavioral Medicine showed happily married people have lower blood pressures than singles, and unhappily married participants had the worst blood pressure readings, of course. A fourth benefit is less anxiety. In a loving, stable relationship, uh, researchers from the State University of New York in Stony Brook uh, used functional MRI scans to look at the brains of people who were in love. They compared passionate new couples with strongly connected long-term couples. Both groups showed activation in brain regions associated with intense love. But there was a difference between the two groups and other parts of their brain. In particular, in the long-term love relationships, there was activation in areas associated with bonding and less activation in areas that produce anxiety. A fifth health benefit is natural pain control. Married couples were less likely to complain of headaches and back pain than others. A study was done uh, showing researchers subjecting 16 married women to an electric shock treatment. When the women were holding their husband's hands, they showed less response in the brain areas associated with stress, implying that the happier the marriage, the greater the pain control. A sixth benefit is improved stress management. There's a link between social supports and stress management. If you're facing the stressor with someone who supports and loves you. A seventh benefit is fewer colds. Researchers at Carnegie Mellon University found that people who exhibited 
positive loving emotion are less likely to get sick after exposure to cold or flu viruses than those who don't. An eighth benefit is faster healing. The power of a positive relationship can make flesh wounds heal faster. Uh, this was demonstrated through researchers at Ohio State University Medical Center that gave married couples blister wounds. The blisters healed nearly twice as fast in spouses who interacted warmly compared with those who demonstrated more hostility toward each other. A ninth benefit many people recognize is a longer life. Multiple research studies have shown that married people tend to live longer than non-married or single individuals. Using data from the National Health Interview Survey, people who had never been married were 58% more likely to die than married people. So marriage seems to provide some type of mutual practical support. Financial benefits are iffy, but children also provide instrumental support. And the tenth health benefit, of course, is a happier life. One of love's greatest benefits is joy. A study in the journal Family Psychology showed happiness depends more on the quality of family relationships than on the level of income. So there's evidence that the power of love is greater than the power of money. Now, there's no definite amount of time that it takes for a person to fall in love. Again, research has implied people can decide within seconds of seeing one another whether they're romantically interested in someone and neurologically speaking, it takes only about a fifth of a second for the neurochemical reactions associated with feelings of love to get fired off. While some people swear they've experienced love at first sight, most people will wait much longer to say they've fallen in love. And that's probably because romantic love usually doesn't happen at first sight. Romantic love, for most people, requires getting to know who the other person is and the fullness of their character. According to a 2013 survey conducted by YouGov and eHarmony, men take an average of about 88 days, about three months, to tell their partner they love them, whereas women take an average of 134 days, four and a half months, they also found in the study that about 39% of men say, I love you, within a month of dating someone, compared to only 23% of women. Now, according to a Rutgers behavioral anthropologist named Helen Fisher, there are three stages in the development of romantic love. Number one is lust. Number two is attraction. And number three is attachment. In the case of lust, which is driven by the desire for sexual gratification, it's an evolutionary basis that organisms past 
their genes and contribute to the perpetuation of their species. So it's a drive that has a strong physical and sexual content. Lust is primarily uh, controlled by testosterone and estrogen. The hypothalamus in the brain stimulates the production of the sex hormones testosterone and estrogen from the testes and ovaries. Testosterone is known to increase the libido in both genders. Some women have reported feeling more sexually motivated around the time that they ovulate, which of course happens to coincide when her estrogen levels are the highest for that month. Number two, the attraction is really a feeling that you're overwhelmingly drawn to the other person, thinking about them constantly, wanting to be around them all the time, and feeling a mix of electricity and nervousness when you're together. Attraction involves the brain pathways that control our reward behaviors, which partially explains why the first few weeks or months of a relationship can be so exhilarating and consuming. As far as the attraction phase of love, three hormones primarily are involved. Dopamine, norepinephrine, and serotonin. The feelings of love or engaging in pleasurable activities trigger the release of dopamine. Dopamine has been nicknamed the sex, drugs, and rock and roll hormone because our bodies release it when a person engages in pleasurable activities. Dopamine is produced by the hypothalamus and is the major player in the brain's reward pathway. High levels of dopamine and norepinephrine are released during the attraction phase. Norepinephrine as you recall from a previous episode I spoke on, is responsible for the fight-or-flight response, which kicks into high gear when we're stressed and keeps us alert. Brain scans of people in love have actually shown that the primary reward centers of the brain are very active when people are shown a photograph of someone they're intensely attracted to compared to a photograph of someone they feel neutral towards. Now, just for the people who are very interested, those centers of the brain are the ventral tegmental area and the caudate nucleus. Attraction also leads to a reduction in serotonin, a hormone known to be involved in our appetite and mood. So interestingly, people who have obsessive-compulsive disorder also have low levels of serotonin, which has led researchers to speculate this is what underlies the overpowering infatuation that characterizes some of the beginning stages of love. The third stage of romantic love, which was uh, attachment, provides a secure connection and closeness to your partner with feelings of deep affection, trust, and connectedness. Attachment is a predominant factor in long-term relationships 
and it mediates friendships, parent-infant bonding, social cordiality, and many other intimacies. Oxytocin is the hormone most associated with attachment. Oxytocin is nicknamed the cuddle hormone for this reason. Like dopamine, oxytocin is produced by the hypothalamus and released in large quantities during sex, childbirth, and breastfeeding. Bonding is the common factor between all of these seemingly unrelated events. Levels of oxytocin only start to increase considerably after the first year of love. Oxytocin, therefore, seems to solidify long-term relationships. Now, while we've mentioned all of the positive natures and actions of love, of course, there can be some downsides to being in love. Love is complicated. Some of the negative behaviors associated with love may include mood swings, food or substance cravings, obsession, compulsion, distortion of reality, emotional dependence, personality changes, risk-taking, and loss of self-control. Now, sexual arousal, but not necessarily attachment, appears to turn off regions in our brain that regulate the higher critical thinking centers of our brain and self-awareness so that rational behavior, which is part of the prefrontal cortex, is somewhat ignored. In short, love makes us dumb. In 1979, psychologist Dr. Dorothy Tenoff wrote a book titled Love and Limerence, The Experience of Being in Love. In that book, she coins the term limerence to describe the debilitating aspect of being in love. She defined limerence as an involuntary, enormously intense, and overwhelmingly passionate state in which the limerent person can feel obsessed with and emotionally dependent on the object of their love. Dr. Tenoff listed several signs of limerence, some of which include intrusive thinking about the object of your passionate desire, acute longing for reciprocation, dependence on the actions of the object of your limerence, or rather on the possibility that they'll reciprocate your love back to you, intense fear of rejection, an inability to have loving feelings toward more than one person at a time, and sometimes incapacitating but unsettling shyness in the presence of your object of desire. In the first 6 to 12 months of a love relationship, the stress hormone cortisol is actually much higher than that after the first year. Researchers believe that the higher levels of cortisol released from the brain during this early period of a love relationship can be suggestive of the stressful and arousing conditions associated with the initiation of an intimate relationship. High cortisol levels 
can also impair the immune system and lead to a higher risk of infections. High cortisol levels also increase the likelihood of developing hypertension and type 2 diabetes. And excessive cortisol can imprint and impair brain function and memory. Now, in the second stage of romantic love, the attraction phase, attraction can operate very much like an addiction. From a neurobiological point of view, love activates the same brain circuitry and reward mechanisms that are involved in addiction. Brain activity in areas associated with cocaine addiction have been demonstrated to be activated in such a case. Again, dopamine is the hormone responsible for the majority of the brain's reward pathways for both good and bad behavior. We experience surges of dopamine for our virtues and our vices. The dopamine pathway is a very well-studied system when it comes to addiction. The same regions that light up our brains when we're feeling attraction will also light up people who have had substance addictions. Being addicted to another person is not an illness, but sometimes the result of a fundamental human capacity that can sometimes be exercised to excess. When a person does exercise love in excess, love should be treated in the same way as any other addiction. People whose lives are negatively impacted by love should be offered support and treatment opportunities analogous to those we extend to substance abusers. The same is true about the attachment and bonding hormone oxytocin. The feel-good sociable effects of oxytocin, if taken to an extreme state, can cause a person to act wildly and recklessly. While this may be good for monogamy, sometimes it's not always positive. For example, oxytocin has been suggested to play a role in ethnocentrism, increasing our love for people already in our established cultural groups and making those unlike us seem more foreign and less desirable. Thus, too much of a good thing can be bad. Too much dopamine or oxytocin, and we're prone to irrational behavior, jealousy, binge eating, or even drug abuse. So, my take-home points to this discussion include the following. Number one, a loving relationship can reinforce an overall healthier life. Number two, the three stages of romantic love are lust, attraction, and attachment. Number three, hormones like testosterone, estrogen, dopamine, norepinephrine, oxytocin, serotonin, they're all involved in the neurobiologic circuitry of the brain. And number four, attraction taken to an extreme level can operate in the brain just like a drug addiction. If this particular topic 
or any of the previous episodes have provoked questions for you, be reassured that I do regular Q&As on my Instagram account at jrbrownmd, where you may submit your questions there through direct messages. However, I emphasize that I do not serve as a replacement or substitute for your own personal physicians, nor do I provide individualized consultations outside of my practice. As I regularly do, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my podcast team, Lauren and Natalie, who are really responsible for making this podcast and all my social media possible. I dedicate this episode to the love of my life, Karen. Karen, I thank you for helping me to be a loving and caring husband, father, sibling, friend, and all-around better man than I ever would have been by myself. Sharing my life with you brings me closer to God. Until our next opportunity, may you be happy, may you be healthy, may you be loved, and may you have a peaceful heart.